From Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network, it's The Meter is Running with John Meter Perel and Shira Springer. Meter's guest today, New York Times bestselling author and TV producer Harlan Coben. The Meter is Running. Enjoy the conversation. Here's Meter and Shira. If you haven't heard of Harlan Coben yet, you'll soon see his work on the Netflix show Safe, starring Michael C. Hall. Jenny, it's Dad again. Where are you? Jenny's missing. This is the last place she was seen. Someone must know something. What are you insinuating? Coben is the creator and executive producer of Safe. But when he's not on set, he's busy writing his 31st novel. All right, sure. Wait a minute now. You're burying the lead. As a noted columnist for the Boston Globe, you're burying the lead. (laughs) Am I? Harlan Coben is prolific. He's one of the greatest writers of our time. As the New York Times call him, a poet of the suburbs. (laughs) That's Harlan Coben, but you know what else is Harlan Coben? He Tell is, me, John. He is captured by his exploits on the hard court. He was a Jewish All-American. He was a he is a New England Basketball Hall of Famer. He was inducted in 2013. He is a international star. He is putting Jerry Lewis to shame in France. <laughs> you walk down the street with Harlan Coben in Paris, you're going to be recognized because he is a legend. So I think you summed up his career nicely, and it, God knows that Safe will be a huge hit on Netflix. There's no doubt about that. A blockbuster. But, but Harlan you're telling Coben, me there's way more to Harlan Coben. Har- Harlan Coben is layered. Layered. Yes, he is a true renaissance man. And we were fortunate enough to speak with him on The Meter is Running. Harlan Coben, good to have you with us. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you? I'm I'm doing great, thanks, and so are you for that matter. we got to get right into this blockbuster new show coming on Netflix on May 10th called Safe. Give us your inspiration, uh, Harlan, as the executive producer and creator of this show on Netflix. What brought you to this project? Well, uh, it was a chance, first of all, to work with Michael C. Hall, uh, who's starring in it. And Michael's only done two TV series, Six Feet Under and Dexter. Pretty good track record. Yes. yes. Um, so we're his third show. Uh, it's called Safe. It's on Netflix starting May 10th. I can't wait for you guys to watch it. Eight episodes, one crime drama, uh, and you have an ending. It's not one of those shows that's going to tease you with a big, you know, early reveal and then not give you the answer. All the answers are given, and I kind of love that. I love that about having a kind of a, you know, the shows that you can just binge like that, that you actually don't have to wait for season two or whatever. Um, and Netflix really gave us a great platform to do this, so I'm, I'm thrilled. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Now, Harlan, you mentioned that Michael C. Hall is starring in this, and most people are familiar with him from Dexter and Six Feet Under. I saw the trailer, and I was shocked to hear Michael C. Hall speaking in a British accent. Uh, explain the setting a little bit, where this this show is set, and this is a, a, a gated community. Near London, yeah, the gated seems? community uh, in England. Um, I had done one other show in England called The Five, which is now on Netflix if you guys want to watch it, The Five, ten episodes. And I really enjoyed the experience, the freedom that it gave, uh, it gave me to be able to do the kind of show without so much um, say network interference. So anyway, when I wrote it and Michael uh, then wanted to come on board, I said to him, you know, I could change the character easily. He can be an American um, living in in England, and the big appeal for Michael was the fact that he could do, you know, Michael's almost a chameleon. He can do any accent and any voice. He he just played on, he played Lazarus, uh, played David Bowie on Broadway, and was able to mimic that voice, too. So 
he liked the challenge. We have so many actors that go the other way around. You know, the, the stars of Walking Dead and Homeland are both British. You know, we have so many British actors who play American. He thought it'd be a kind of a cool challenge to, to try to be an American playing British. Did you do a double take, though, when you first saw him in character or actually heard him in character <laughs> with that British accent? Not really, because even taping it, and I, I don't really see him as Michael. I, I saw him as... What's amazing, he's such a good actor. And the safe is a story. He plays a, a, um, a, widowed, a fa- widowed father of two teenage daughters. His wife has died about a year earlier as the story opens. And um, he's trying to take care of these over his head with these two teenagers. And then one goes, there's a party in this community, a teenage party. And things just go tremendously wrong. One dies, one is missing, and the whole community explodes with, with secrets. And it's such a different role for him that... Sometimes, like when he would have to do a scene that involved violence or whatever else, I said, "Michael, you're not really convincing because your character here you are, you're Dexter, so you're a scary ass dude, but you're not scaring me at all because that's how his character is. He just gets so into the character that I just saw him as Tom, the pediatric surgeon, widowed father. I didn't ever really, I no longer saw Michael or Dexter. Yeah, it's an, an incredible. Uh, I'm sure that complexities there with him are unbelievable. But in terms of writing this show and creating the show, what's the process like, Harlan? In terms of when you sit down to write a book and you sit down to create a t- TV show, it, how different is it? Well, first of all, I want to give you the same experience. So if you pick up my, I want you to take my book to bed at ten or eleven o'clock at night. Say, oh, I'm just going to read for ten or fifteen minutes. The next thing you know, it's four in the morning, and you know you're deliriously happy. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Safe. Um, you're going to say, oh, I'll just try to watch like, you know, maybe one a week or two a week. And then you say, mm, just click one more. Next thing you know, Wally will be gone. Um, I, I love that kind of thing. I love that sort of driving suspense um, where you, you know, you have the big setup. What happened at that party? Who's keeping the secrets? What are those secrets? And you just want to race through it and get to know these characters and, and figure out um, what happened. So in that sense, both writing is the same. The biggest difference is, of course, that I, when I wrote a book, I'm, I'm all by myself. You know, I'm writer, director, actor, I change the light bulbs, I do it all. <laughs> when you're doing a TV series, it's about collaboration. It's all about working with others, really talented others. And I kind of enjoyed the change of pace. I've written, I'm writing my 31st novel, Meter. Wow. A lot of time alone in the Holy room. cow. 31 yeah. now. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my 31st right now. So to have be able to get out and, and play with others was kind of a nice change of pace. <laughs> So I'm just curious, how is it working with Netflix and sort of the whole streaming network? Well, it's not streaming television apparatus. I mean, did you did they leave you alone? Did they kind of say this is your creative vision? I mean, and how do you go about just doing that collaborative process with everybody that can be involved in television? Uh, Netflix is a great partner. I mean, uh, they really did let us do what we wanted to do, and we delivered the show. I think that they really wanted us to deliver. Um, you couldn't have done this a few years ago, have an eight-episode TV series where, you know, the endings aren't, the ending of the show is completely closed. It's like a mini-series, um, but it just, there wasn't any place for that kind of thing in the in the past where you could watch it all like that in, in one gulp, but not just in the U.S. They're releasing it on May 10th in 190 countries. Oh, man. You can't find a place unless you're unless you're Kim Jong Un. You're not going to find a place. <laughs> you never know. Matter, you never is, know. <laughs> it's really cool. I'm sure he's going to. He'll probably pirate it. But uh, you can't find a place. Um, and so you know, you really have to up your game. You, really, you know, the, for everybody, it's just like a really kind of a thrilling and a, an exciting um, prospect that you know you can have that um, 
go on. And, and you know, then it's there for a long time, forever, theoretically speaking, that you can watch it May 10th, 11th, 12th, whatever day you, you feel like watching it. I, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing. They were a great partner. Um, and again, this is, for, and, I, and I'm happy to say this because I was executive producer and creator on it. Um, I'll take the blame or the credit. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be a writer who sort of said, well, they didn't do exactly what I wanted. The network stopped me. And this is the show I wanted to create. It never comes out exactly like you want it to. But this is the show I, I wanted to create. And I'm really proud of it. Um, I think it's really going to, to hold you in suspense. And I can promise you this. The ending is a complete shocker. You will never see it coming. And you will, you will gasp out loud at the ending Ooh. of Save. Great tease, Harley. Yes, I know. So I have a question. There we go. So I have a question. You will gasp out loud at the ending. (laughs) So I have a question about your own viewing habits. Are you a binge watcher? I mean, are you a guy who will, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night say, oh, I'm just going to watch an episode and then find yourself five episodes in? And what are you watching if that is your viewing habit? (laughs) I'm usually asleep by 10, 10 so no, (laughs) but I am. At the other hand, I am a binge watcher. Like I do, wait for series to end, that season to end, and then I'll watch them, you know, in some sort of streaming uh, or purchased way. So I have to deal with the commercials. And if I want to watch three in a row, I'll watch three in a row. Whatever uh, gives me that kind of freedom. Um, so I don't watch. I almost the only thing I watch on live TV is sports. You know, yep. um, that's that's pretty much uh, the only time I see all the TV commercials. I know are via sports, right? Like we make fun of that. That Papa John commercial because that's a million times the, the dilly dilly, you know the, the, the discount double check commercial because we've seen yep. that. Oh yeah, it's, it's on during a during a sporting event. Um, you know the the was it, is it Chevrolet or who has the real people not actors commercial that yes. annoys the hell out yes, of me. Yes, that's awful. God, I hate that commercial. Yeah, they're sitting on a road talking. I wish a truck would run them all over. Note to self: Chevrolet will not be a sponsor on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, what, what are, we could we could blank me out right there, Chevy. But I apologize. So just curious, what do you have queued up to binge at this point? I mean, are you you know do you go for the suspense? I recently mystery? watched. Um, have you seen Fargo? No, that's really good. It is good. Um, I've seen a few. Recent recent shows I've watched, I guess, are Fargo. Um, I saw The Americans and Maybe Better Call Saul. Those are, I think are the last three that I, I binged. Yeah. Better Call Saul is terrific. Really? Yeah. Yes, outstanding. Love, love the Americans. Americans, not bad. Too. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good. This is a renaissance period for television. Wouldn't you agree, Harlan? There's no question it's the golden age of television. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I would. I really had no interest in doing TV. You know, meter when we were on, we used to be on radio together. All I, all I cared about were the books, and I still do. I mean, that's that's my thing. I write novels. I don't let go without now in paperback. Go get it. But um, I really had that much interest in that, in that kind of storytelling, that idea of. You know, 22 episode season where you have each episode has a starts the mystery in 47 minutes, it's solved. But we are in a different era now. Shows like Breaking Bad and Homeland and True Detective and starting with The Sopranos maybe have really helped change that. And yep. for me, that's 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 a positive both as a viewer and as a creator. Hi, I'm Marjorie Claproon's brother, John. And I'm Margie's nephew, Michael. And I'm Margie's nephew, Dave. And I'm Margie's nephew, Jonas. We're here with a special plea today. There's someone who needs your help. The matter is urgent. And it gets worse every day. Marjorie Claproon suffers from A.C.S. 
attention craving syndrome. Every minute of every day. She is desperately trying to get everyone's attention. But you can help. Just listen to her podcast. Margie Claproot saves the world. New episodes posted regularly at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Please listen. We implore you. She needs your attention. And then maybe she'll leave us the alone. Please. 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 Please listen. Politics, family, and fun. Margie Claprood saves the world. At pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network. <laughs> So your first love is the book writing part of this. You said you were writing your 31st book. So yeah. uh, just looking at your bibliography, you see that it's a book, sometimes two books a year that you're releasing. Yep. What's the secret? Please tell me, what's the secret to being it's so all, prolific? You know, here's the thing. It's all I do. Um, I, I get people are sort of amazed by it, and I'm really thrilled about that. Put me in the but amazed it's all, category. <laughs> I, it's all I do. That's my full-time job. So, you know, your, your listeners right now are getting up, and they're going to work, and it's, you know, 8 in the morning, and they're getting to work at 9, and they're working wherever they're working, and they stop at 5, they go home, whatever. That's my job. So all I have to do is create a novel a year. When you think of it that way, it's not really that startling or amazing. No, I mean, it is. What else would I do all, it what is, else would I do all day? <laughs> but it is. I mean, when you're writing, the writing process, you know, like they say, it's like, you know, you have to open a vein to, to, to write stuff. I mean, you know, the old joke yep. about how difficult writing can be and how writers are procrastinators and how it takes forever to produce good work. I mean, come on, give yourself some credit. I mean, it's pretty amazing how prolific you've been. It's staggering well, is what it staggering. is. staggering. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I try to, but I try to treat it like a job. So, in other words, a plumber can't say, "Oh, today uh, I, I just can't do pipes." You know what I mean? <laughs> I try. You know, my father was a working man, and my mother was a working girl, uh, and I'm, 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 and so I treat it like a job. It doesn't mean a, it doesn't mean I own days where I suffer and do all that stuff. Um, but it's also the other side of the coin. It's also the single greatest job in the world. I mean, when I finish a book. You know, people read it, and I'm in their home, and we have a direct contact like that. That's really cool. It's the best job in the world. So that that also helps me through those darker moments of being alone. How many you know, tortured moments? On a hot day, digging digging ditches or something like that. I'm, I'm writing. Well, you could so. do that too, Harlan. If you know, if you needed to dig a ditch, you, you'd be the guy I call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the start of a novel. Right there here. you go. A lot of ditch digging with Harlan Coben. They'll push, push him in, right? They'll yeah. push him in. When you're sitting down at your, you know, at your computer, how many tortured moments do you have? How many writer writer's block moments do you have where you have to get up and say, "I can't do this anymore"? And how do you get through them? And how do you get through them? I need to know. It's just you know, the one thing you learn with experience is it'll pass, but a ton. I mean, I go through it all the time, every day. Uh, you know, I had a conversation recently with Stephen King. Okay, no one's more successful, no one's a greater writer, no one's written more books and done more stuff than Stephen King. Yep. He still has all those kind of dark moments. He still has that insecurity. Um, is this book any good? Are people going to like it? Stephen King. <laughs> so I know Mary Higgins Clark. Mary's 90. Mary still has that all the time. That's just part of the process. I think when you lose it, you probably are starting to phone it in. You just live with that. There's a little voice in your head that has that doubt all the time. Um, if you are super secure in your writing, if, you're, if you have a writer on your show who goes, yeah, I'm really good, and it's not, trust me, that book stinks. Only bad <laughs> writers think they're good. 
I would the rest agree. of us suffer. That's you know the rest of us have that that angst, that insecurity, that desperation. Otherwise, it, we can't do it. So I'm just curious. You you mentioned that you know you treat it as a job. I mean, are you literally going to your computer at nine o'clock in the morning and sitting there and you know doing the nine to five thing, or is there some part where you wait for inspiration to strike? I mean, how do you balance that aspect? I of- never wait for inspiration to strike. Um, there's wow. an, uh, an old saying um, that I don't know who gets credit for, but it's amateurs wait for inspiration. The rest of us just get to work. You can't wait for inspiration to strike. There are days nothing happens. There are days I'll sit here and do nothing. I don't, I don't work nine to five. Some days I work a lot less. Some days I work a lot more. Most days a lot less, quite frankly. Other days, um, what's going to be happening right now and it's starting to happen is I'm getting near the end of the book. That's when I, I lose my mind and do it all day long. I grow a playoff beard like a hockey player. <laughs> I don't shave. I don't change. My kids throw a banana in the room and run away from me, that kind of a thing. I just go completely bananas. But I have, ter- I have termed it my playoff beard. Um, I like I, it. I, just, I had it going, but I just had to shave it because I just did a photo shoot um, for a magazine. So I had to shave the beard. But I do grow the playoff beard um, every year as I do this. So are we talking like... I go deep in, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm digging the Bruins right now. Are we digging the Bruins? Oh, of course digging we are. Yes. Of course we are. Well, now that your beloved Rangers are out of the mix. I know. I'm, you know I, I'm a Ranger fan, but I love Cam Neely. He's a great guy. He is. And so I'm always cheering on the Bruins, too. Well, the so, Bruins are going to make a deep run, Harlan. I, I think so. They're, they're tough, man. They, got, they just have that kind of weird combo that you need to win where you have the kind of energetic young players who are who are raising their game and the cagey veterans just know what to do jake debrusque star of the future Charlie star, i was gonna say star yeah. of now um i have a question there about i have a question about the playoff beard though are we talking yep. does it does it get like james harden out of control big kind of <laughs> you know that kind of bushy or, or, or do you, you know my wife hates the beard so she does like at, at some point she's just like i'm not kissing you if you don't shave it. So that's usually when I start to trim it. It's just like, it's like a, a six day growth for weeks at a time. I somehow managed to keep it around that, that length. It doesn't, it doesn't go ZZ top. Okay. Good. This is, this is all good information. I feel. Don't yeah. you, John? My, oh, also, yeah, I write pretty fast. So my playoff beard never lasts more than two or three weeks. I, I go through the stage. It would take me seven years to go ZZ top. <laughs> What's that? I still have my bar mitzvah beard. Harlan. I would say, Meter, you got, I, I wouldn't grow, you would grow, you know, maybe a playoff pencil stash. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> porn star mustache. Yes. That's right. Oh, no, you, would, you, can't, you can't get the porn star thing going. You know, you know. What, are you, what are you saying? No. What are you saying? You're more like, the, you're like, more like, you're more like Pedro in, uh, in Napoleon Dynamite. I always thought I was the inspiration for Win in the Myron Bolotar novels. Yeah. Dream on. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask you that what, another quirky part of your bio is that you are extremely popular in France. You, you've actually done some French TV shows. How yep. exactly does that happen? I don't know. The French lock onto strange things, like I'm the Jerry Lewis of crime fiction. I'm really big <laughs> in France. I keep complaining to my publisher in Germany I want to be the David Hasselhoff <laughs> publishing as well, but it hasn't quite happened there. I had a big hit movie um, based off my book, Tell No One, which actually was also popular here, even though it was a French film. Yeah. And I think that got the ball rolling maybe, but 
it's just uh, one of those things with the French. Um, you know, the books are in 43 languages in over 100 countries, which is really very flattering and really, really cool. And there's something, you know, the more specific I am about these sort of New Jersey neighborhoods, um, the more universal the appeal. I guess in the, I'm told in the same way that that's true of Springsteen or The Sopranos, that the more you're New Jersey sometimes, the better off you are. I don't really, you know, I, just, I don't know. I have a lot of Boston in my blood, too. My dad was born and raised in Revere Beach. Um, so I spent a lot of my time in the Boston, still have, you know, family in the in the Boston area. So I think there's a little bit of that attitude also that you may come across in the books. And one of the reasons I, I, I do have, I do love a number of uh, Boston sports teams, most especially the Celtics. But. Well, it, as well you should as a New England basketball Hall of Famer after your <laughs> acclaimed and decorated career at Amherst College. That's 2013 right, class. Now, were you a class of one? Who else joined you in that class? You trying to diminish the accomplishment? No, here? I, I think it's an outstanding <laughs> no, the achievement. The better, right? <laughs> well, actually, I was put into the New England Basketball Hall of Fame under the student, uh, the student athlete, or no, student scholar, scholar athlete. I'm sorry, scholar athlete category, which I think is a category for someone who's neither a scholar <laughs> or athlete. <laughs> sort of, you know, sort of snuck in there. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I, I do think my if I wasn't a a known novelist, I'm not exactly sure I would have been the New England Basketball Hall of Fame would have seen fit to put me in. But I did enjoy a, a four year, well, three years of starter career at Amherst at Amherst uh, College, uh, and it was a lot of fun playing. My coach David Hickson is still there. Yes, winning wow. games, setting records. Uh, you know, he just he you know. And he still looks like he's 30, so I don't know how he's doing it exactly. He, he's, uh, he's an ageless wonder, but the program is still great, and I'm really proud to be part of it. Amherst right. College uh, program there. All right, really important Amherst College question here. Uh, you were the Lord Jeffs. You are now yeah. the Mammoths. Yes. That is so weak. It is weak. Though, though the what reason, is a mammoth? Well, the reason is they have a, 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 like a, some museum there where they have a, a, the bones of a woolly mammoth, like fully erected and, and done so it, you can actually tell it's a woolly mammoth. They excavated the woolly mammoth. I don't think they personally excavated the woolly <laughs> mammoth, but someone excavated the woolly mammoth. It might have been Harlan Coben. Right. Harlan, was that you? Yeah, that's when I went to college, back when the woolly mammoth was actually roaming there. <laughs> so, so how do you feel about now being the mammoths instead of the Lord Jeffs? You know, here's the thing about this sort of the mascot or the, you know, this whole controversy. I just can't care enough. I mean, I just can't get, I can't work can't myself care that to you're get upset. Mammoths? I can't work myself to get upset one way or the other about it. I mean, if, if it really is bothering people or offending people, then, then then change it. What's the big friggin' deal if you're called what you're called? I mean, I don't know what the heck a Lord Jeff was anyway. I mean, that's kind of a weird name in the first place. So I just, I, I can't get worked up for any of these teams. I can't get worked up one way or the other. And, you know, if you really are that, you know, if your school means that much to you that you, you, you that, you have to hold on to something in the past. Then maybe the school wasn't that great for you anyway. Just move on, man. <laughs> so we're the mammoths now. Cool. We were the Lord Jeffs. Who cares? You could have been I the care hamsters, how well we right? Play and how good the teachers are. You know, I just don't care. Or the banana slug. I was going to say the banana slug. It's more of who yes. cares. 
Yeah. Do you see you know Santa I mean? Cruz banana slugs? All time great. That can't go anywhere. Mascot. That must stay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Never change. Never change. Do you see Santa Cruz. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, Harlan. I think, uh, first of all, we've political correctness run amok. Would you agree? Yes and no. Here's the thing. It's like, you know, the, uh, it works both ways. Everyone's offended by the jokes that uh, the left tells, and then someone else offended by something the right tells. First of all, everybody get over yourself and just be polite and just don't. It's not like worth. Uh, I just don't think it's you know, worth also keeping a name that maybe offends people. They, if it offends people, let's you know if we can cooperate. Why not? If it offends people to tell a joke about Sanders, then don't don't tell it. I mean, you know, both tell don't don't care so much one way or the other. I guess is sort of what it is politically correct or not if, if you know just listen and, and and just try to have respect for one another. so were you appalled right or left really it's, i don't really have a, a a strong viewpoint um one way or the other on that i just think people you know it's you know people get so upset that we're no longer the lord jeffs or people you know who cares just there's important things in the world no one's dying over this or, or who cares move on were you appalled by michelle wolf at the White What's House that? were you were you appalled by Michelle Wolf <laughs> at the White House Correspondents' Dinner? No, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. She's a it's a comic. Let's say right. let's say she was offensive. Who cares? It's a comic. <laughs> Agree. You no, know, I've been offended by comics before. Who cares? I don't get easily offended anyway. I just don't care. I can't care one way or the other on that subject. I didn't care when they made fun of Bill Clinton on it or or Obama or George W. Bush. I don't. I just don't care. It seems like a good way to keep your sanity. It is. Yeah, and to just, keep your focus it, on writing can't. novels. It's, it's, it's zen-like. Yes. I can't, I can't care enough, that's all. That's all I can say is just everybody relax, calm down. It's like, you know, I just did an interview with a, a golf thing, and, uh, um, and they were asking me the philosophy on golf, and I heard a story. I don't know if the story is true or not, but you'll love it. It's a sports story involving Mario Lemieux and Mike Ruzioni. Okay. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. This is the story I heard. The two of them are playing golf. And Michael Ruzioni hits a terrible shot, and he gets really mad and starts cursing and screaming and all of that. And Lemieux just looks at him and says, Mike, you're not good enough to get that angry. <laughs> that's kind of my well philosophy played. on all this stuff. Yeah. yeah that's I think good. I found a new life philosophy here, just to not I care so Just go with the flow. Even though you're in yes. a golf course, I'm not good enough to get that angry. I am definitely not good enough on the no, golf that course makes, to get That makes angry. three of us. Ever. I like it, though. That's a good story. I can see that, though. I can hear that. I can hear Rizzioni getting very upset. <laughs> America's guest. Harlan, before we let you go, give us a reason to watch. You already did it, but I want to reiterate it. A reason to watch Safe on Netflix. Oh, well, reason to watch Safe? Yes. Uh, it's, it, it is suspenseful. It is gripping. Right from the first moment, you are going to be lost in this world of what happened Who's missing? Why are they missing? Murdered? I promise you, you're going. It's gonna. It's gonna rock you. Just give me ten minutes. If you don't like you after ten minutes? Turn it off. I'm gonna give you more than that. I'm gonna, gonna give you eight that. episodes. And I know what I will be binging next. Give me hooked from the first time you see Michael C. Hall uh, standing in a graveyard as we open up. You're gonna be hooked. That's thanks, guys. Sounds sounds outstanding. Harlan, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Good luck, you guys. Bye bye. 